Alright, well let's go ahead and get started tonight. Welcome to our midweek service. This Wednesday, May 4th. And uh, we're in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 3. Um, and uh, um, <clears throat> I had something pop up in my email the other day. Uh, reminding me that May, the month of May, is the 74th anniversary, if I remember correctly, is what it said, of uh, Israel declaring independence, because they did it on May f- uh, May 14th. Yeah, so um, I'm like, well, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> yeah? You don't remember 1948 at all? My dad was born in 1949, so... That's cool. Yeah, <clears throat> that's when uh, that's when uh, everything just kind of came unglued in the Middle East in 1948. Uh, actually, it's been coming unglued for several thousand years before that, I guess. But uh, let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer. We'll get going tonight. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for um, your word. And I thank you again that we have this time to come, to receive instruction from you, uh, to receive this uh, direction about uh, how we should behave and how we should be walking according to your word. Lord, I pray that uh, tonight we would just have the spirit of understanding given to us, um, that, uh, Lord, he would just communicate to us and teach us that we would have this truths. Lord, I pray you'd be with me and uh, just uh, be with my words, that uh, they would be pleasing and honoring unto you. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just be with each one of our hearts to receive what we need. And Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you again for the salvation that we have through you that uh, even makes us coming together possible in a way to please you. And these things I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so last uh, last week, we left off uh, right there around uh, verse 14. But I'm going to read uh, verse uh, 13 to just kind of, uh, again, get that, um, or excuse me, um, uh, going back there to uh, to verse um, uh, 11, just so we can kind of get some understanding of what uh, Paul's talking about. And uh, here he is, he's talking about attaining unto the resurrection of the dead in verse 11. And uh, we discussed what that was talking about, and uh, obviously talking about... Uh, uh, a life that is pleasing, because this is this is essentially what this passage is talking about. Uh, again, keeping in mind that with the mind of Christ, we are going to have that mind that seeks to please God, that seeks to do His will, that seeks to follow after the things that He tells us to do, uh, not our own will. But in verse 12, he says, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. And we very briefly mentioned this issue of perfect, but we're going to kind of delve into that a little bit more as we get down here uh, into verse 15 about this idea of perfect and what God says about it. Uh, in uh, the next, uh, next verse uh, where he starts talking about uh, this in verse 13, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And this is about where we left off. 
And one of the things that we see in this life is obviously God wants us to have a, a mind that is forward thinking. Meaning, uh, we're thinking about things that are not yet here. Uh, you know, you go over to, um, uh, this, uh, concept of faith over in Hebrews chapter 11, and he talks about what faith is in the very first verse. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith becomes an issue of not only being, uh, obedient, but believing what God's going to say, what, what God says, and that he's going to be held true to his promises by himself, not us. But he holds himself true to those words, and he keeps that as he has promised. You take a look over there in, in Hebrews 11, and it talks about Abraham. And and again, Abraham didn't see the manifestation of the promise that he was given. Uh, um, Isaac really didn't either. I mean, you know, it, it started increasing ever so slightly. But you see Abraham obviously seeing his only son Isaac, and the, the son of promise. And then you see... Uh, you know, obviously he had other kids, but the, the one that was, uh, uh, from, uh, that was regarding the promise was Isaac. And then from Isaac, you have two, Esau and Jacob. And then from Jacob, you obviously have the 12 tribes, uh, um, and, and with his 12 sons that, that, that are there. And we see God doing something uh, that begins to expand the nation of Israel. But again, we're talking about several hundred years that the Lord was developing this and bringing it forth. Uh, sometimes there was uh, little uh, things along the way where sin was involved and uh, God addressed that and took care of it. But as we see in Scripture, God is going to continue forward with all of his promises. So we understand that, that faith kind of gives us that idea that there are things that we look forward to. And as we talked about, when it comes to the way that we as Christians behave, we have an expectation that is given to us about what God wants us to think about, how God wants us to act, what God wants us to say. All these things we find very clearly what he calls the Christian walk, the Christian life, um, <clears throat> this calling very specifically in this passage that we see that he's asking us to do. Now, in order to understand what we are supposed to do, we have to begin with the, the fact that we have to, to, to really think about it. You know, I remember back when I was in school, you'd be sitting there in like kindergarten class or first grade and the teacher would say, okay, we're going to talk about a really, you know, fun subject, but I want you all to put your thinking caps on. You know, it's just kind of a fun little thing that the teacher was doing. And I, I would remember that because therein lies one of the issues. A lot of people don't think. They just don't. Uh, I, I mean, uh, um, it, it just becomes apparent. Go drive on I-5. <laughs> um, you know, the other day people were using the emergency lane to pass people in. Because uh, they weren't uh, they weren't driving fast enough, and I'm just like, good grief, you know, where's the state patrol when we need them? And uh, sure enough, there was a few state uh, uh, patrols out there, uh, and there were, but the, you know, there's only so many of them, and then there's only so many uh, bad drivers that are out there, so they can get who they can get. But still, at some point in time, you're just like, wow. I mean, you, what's the thought process with that? Well, there is none. There really is none. I mean, if you've raised children, 
at some point in time, you, you realize when they've done something, you just look at them and say, what were you thinking? And they just kind of give you that blank stare that you obviously know there was nothing on inside. <laughs> there was no thought process put into this. It was just the impulse. It was a, it was action. It was, uh, it was just, you know, if you will, some sort of, uh, a, a, a response that just kind of came out and, and there was no thought process. But God wants us to think. He wants us to think about our words. He wants us to think about our actions. He wants us to contemplate our thoughts even. And this is where we're getting at because this is, again, the, the central theme with this is, is the mind of Christ. This is how we go about doing the Christian walk. You know, there are people that can, quote unquote, can claim to do the Christian walk and they can do it in such a way that they kind of look like they're a Christian, but all they're doing is faking it. They're faking it. Again, one of the best books that you'll ever read is a, a book uh, by um, John Bunyan called um, Grace Abounding. Now, John Bunyan obviously wrote a few other books. One, Pilgrim's Progress, very well known. But Grace Abounding is his testimony. And when you get in there and you start reading his testimony, he's very, very, very transparent. He, he, he decided one time that he was going to be a Christian and he had everything down and he had everyone fooled, but he had never trusted Christ as a savior. And he had, he was making himself even more miserable. And, and, and when that admission came out, people had a hard time even believing it. That's how good of a Christian, quote unquote, he was. But beforehand, he was an absolute reprobate. He lived for every vice. I mean, kind of like what we were looking at in Ecclesiastes. He, he, he took uh, Ecclesiastes about what not to do as a handbook of this is what I need to do in my life. And he completely twisted scripture, if you will, to, to go about doing everything that Solomon said don't. But the end result was, is, you know, obviously he did trust Christ as his savior, but we see that there's many people that can walk that walk but they don't have the mindset to continue. They they don't have that 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 if you will that idea of the future reward. They don't have any idea of pressing towards that mark that God has set for us, according to like First Corinthians three. They they don't think that process. They think about well, if I do this, then I'm going to get blessed here on earth. You know, if I, if I go about doing all the right things and doing the way the things that God wants them to do, I'm going to be physically blessed. Well, that's not always a guarantee because God did guarantee we will have trials, troubles, and afflictions. So you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that. It's how we respond to them. It's how we respond to them. Look, everything, and I know I'm kind of mixing Philippians with Ecclesiastes, but there is a direct tie here. When you start looking over at Ecclesiastes, you start seeing, you know, he starts talking about all these things that happen, but they happen to both the believer and the unbeliever, the wise and the fool alike. Death comes, troubles come, problems happen, everything occurs. It's, it's just the way it is. You can't escape it. It's just going to happen. You know, when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you didn't get an automatic, nothing bad is ever going to happen to you card. Uh, if you did, I would like to see that card, because it would be great to have one. But I guarantee you, you don't have one. But the fact is, is that we have to make some decisions about how we respond to those. 
And that decision about how we respond is how we bring, bring, bring glory to Christ. That's the concept. That's the concept with what we do when we're talking about this walk. So here we are in verse 14 and, and uh, kind of getting the, a little bit of some traction with this. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, again, here we are looking at this calling that he's talking about. Now, many people have a different idea of what they think about with this this calling. But obviously, this pressing towards the mark, we're talking about those goals and standards that God has set, his will, his mind, that that continuous walk, as we saw with the pressing and the prize we talked about. But here we are talking about this high calling, and and I want us to go over to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. And, and, and I want us to see this connection. Now, he's talking about this prize. He's talking about pressing forward towards it. You know, we're talking about the walk, and we're going to see some walk here uh, that we see in verse 16, where he's talking about, let us walk by the same rule. So w- when we're talking about this concept of calling, and we're talking about this concept of walk, I kind of want us to think very similar thoughts with this. But in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, <clears throat> I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness, meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So I like this. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, he expounds how we're supposed to, to be worthy in this walk. He doesn't just leave it to guess. He says, no, here's how you're worthy. Lowliness of mind, which we saw with Jesus Christ, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, talking about how we deal with brothers and sisters in Christ, other believers, and endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And again, you know, that's one of the key things that the devil will come and try to attack. He will try to attack your relationships. Your relationships. Why? Because if he can get you focused on the relationships here, physically, you're not going to be focused on the relationship spiritually. How we, how we go about focusing our relationship with God will dictate how we respond to relationships here and how we respond when those relationships come under fire. You know, I, 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 this happens. I saw something the other day. Somebody was talking about it, and uh, um, you know, some of those weird reality shows. There's one out there with has some shooting competition stuff, and I was watching a couple of uh, the episodes because, again, hey, it's got guns, so you know, we're there. <laughs> so I, I was uh, I was kind of watching some of it, and uh, there was this. There was all this drama, and now I know it's a reality show, and they're doing it for the, you know the purpose of entertainment and stuff like that. But a couple of the, the 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 contestants were a little rattled by this drama. Why? Because they were more focused on that than actually competing. It messed up their game. Now, when we think about this, that, that, that's the way it works. Look, if you've got a big fight with somebody. That's that's uh, uh, either in your home or at work or uh, a family member or a friend, whatever it may be. How often do you think about that during the day? It's like nonstop. I mean, it's like in your face. 
it becomes the focus of what you're thinking about. So when it becomes the focus of what you're thinking about, let's ask this question. How much time do you spend thinking about God? How much time do we think about God's word? How much time do we think about what his response would be? So we begin to have this mindset that needs to be Christ-like. And here he is, he's talking about, I want you to walk worthy of this vocation wherewith you are called. Now he uses that word vocation. We don't use that word vocation a lot anymore. We, you know, sometimes people try to, you know, use the word occupation there, but occupying uh, is different than vocation. And let me give you a, 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 a kind of a, a description. <clears throat> and I understand, you know, words change over the course of time. That, that's very, that's very much a given. But but let's let's think about it this way. Uh, occupation is what happens when you go in and you basically somewhat take over. You occupy territories. I mean, that makes sense, right? You are there. Now, when you occupy something, it doesn't necessarily mean you're doing anything. You're just present. So God didn't call us to just, quote unquote, be present. To just sit there and just do nothing. Now today we call that, you know, we call that an occupation, <laughs> which sometimes depending on what your work is, that may be what you do. But, you know, <clears throat> when, when you're thinking about occupation, the root word of that is occupy. Uh, you know, here, as an example, I'll, I'll, I'll just show you. I got a thing of Tic Tacs. It is currently occupying that space. Now what is it doing? Not a thing. Those Tic Tacs are not sentient. They don't have their own independent thought. Um, they're not a life form. Um, they, they're just there. Right? Now, vocation is different. Vocation means that you're employed to do a task. That not only is it occupying the space, but it is busying yourself in that space. So when you are walking in a vocation, you're not standing still. You're moving forward. Now there are times to stand because he does say to stand against the wiles of the devil. We understand that and how we go about doing that. And again, these are typologies. These are uh, illustrations that are being used here for, so God can communicate to us. But when we're talking about vocation, the reason he doesn't use occupation is because he doesn't want us to be to, to be sedentary. He wants us to be active, moving, doing stuff. And, and, and you have to do that. So your mindset can't just be, okay, well, I'm saved. And then nothing. That's That's not what God's called us to do. Ephesians 2.10, he makes it very clear. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, makes it even more abundantly clear about what that walk with good works is all about that he talks about in chapter 2. So here we are seeing this and also relating to what we see here in Philippians. He says this is a calling, and he calls it a calling here in, in, in this passage as well. means that he's calling you to do this. This is something that he wants you to do. These are instructions. These are directions. He's asking you to come and do these things specifically 
to please him, his will, his desires. This is, this is that mindset that we have to begin to think about. So here we are, we're talking about this, and, and if you go back over there to, <coughs> excuse me, chapter uh, 3 of Philippians in verse 14, he, has, he gives it a description. He gives it a description. Now, I, I will tell you this, many times people will read that passage and they will focus on the one word calling. They will focus on calling. Just like, and I, I, I again, I, I'm not trying to deceive you, but I wanted you to focus on that word calling before focused on the descriptor. Notice how he refers to it. It's a high calling. It's a high calling. When we look at that word there, we see that he's placing that, that there's a great deal of importance on doing it. That God's not just calling you to do busy work. I cannot stand busy work. I cannot stand busy work. Uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm just not one of those people. When I do something, I want to. I, I want to make sure that I'm doing it for a distinct reason. You know, if somebody, you know, you don't have anything to do and somebody says, oh, okay, well, I'll give you some busy work to do. Uh, you, you, you see those boxes over there? They're kind of stacked a little weird. I'd like you to stack them a little bit neater than that because I, I just don't like the way it looks. You, and you do it, but you know what you're doing. Busy work. You, you're doing something to just honestly occupy time and space at that moment. But God's not asking us to do that. You realize that when he calls this a high calling, as he says there in verse 14, you realize that he is putting that this is not only something of great importance, but we're talking about something that comes specifically from God, not from man. Not from man. You know, sometimes people can tell the difference. Um, and, and as you mature in Christ, um, you'll, you'll eventually get, get an idea of what it is. <clears throat> Some people, when they're called to, to, into ministries, they're called of God. It's very apparent. They're called of God. Some people are called of their parents. Some people are called of another man. And some people, some of the most dangerous ones, are called of themselves. Self-willed. That is dangerous. Now look, I know of guys that have not been ordained. They didn't go a day to any type of uh, Bible college or institute class. But they know the Word of God. They, They are faithful studiers. And they just went because they knew there was a need. I'm not talking about that. And, and, and the person that I have in mind that I'm thinking about, he's very much called to God to do it. Now, again, he doesn't have, a, you know, some great grand ministry uh, of, uh, you know, like uh, Joel Olstein, where he's uh, 5,000 people, and I would dare not even call that a ministry. But um, uh, you understand what I'm saying. He's just, uh, that individual is a faithful servant of God. And that's that's why he was called to do what he does in, in that specific ministry he has. And it's not the same ministry that everyone else has. It's just the one that God gave him. 
But when we start talking about this high calling, I want us to understand this. This isn't because somebody is, if if you will, from the physical sense pressuring you to do this. We, We start creeping into legalism that way. We start creeping into legalism. We have to be very careful about that. When we understand what the high calling is, we go over there and again, you, you use Ephesians 4 as a, as a baseline for it. Lowliness, meekness, long suffering, forbearing, and endeavoring to keep unity. And he goes in through a whole lot more in that chapter. Ephesians 4 is just loaded with stuff. Loaded. Uh, about how to accomplish those things in the first part. Romans chapter 12 is just loaded with those things. Uh, um, there's, I mean, there's tons of them in Romans. There's, there's tons. Of, I mean, it's throughout Scripture, we see all of these things. But here he is. He he has a specific calling that he wants us to do. But he also wants to make sure that you understand and that I understand that it is from him. Paul, when he says a high calling, he's not saying that this is just something important to do. No, the importance is placed on on Christ, on what he wants done, and that's what we have to think about. That's why it's important. That's why it's important. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. And I've I've done it myself, too. Uh, I remember when I was uh, first started with uh, the company that I work with now, um, I was working up in um, the Seattle area, and um, I was I was a grunt. I mean, I was I was cannon fodder. Uh, I was uh, <clears throat> I was just you know just doing doing the work. Um, but you know, obviously, it was stuff that I had done before, so I I, I knew my way around some of those uh, insurance claims, things like that. Uh, how to deal with stuff, and um, uh, nobody else there knew how to do it. And there was a regional vice president that came in, and um, I remember I had no idea who he is. I'm just I'm sitting there in a meeting, and we're all sitting around, and I still had no idea who was all there and what everybody's role was. I kind of knew a couple people, the people that hired me, and people that I had already kind of known. But the rest of them, I had no idea who they were or what they were trying to accomplish or anything of that nature. <clears throat> and I'm sitting there and I made a comment about something and the, the regional vice president just looked at me like, and I'm like, uh oh, I just can't get myself fired. And he's like, is that true? And I'm like, yeah. And then I showed him some, a couple of examples. Then he turned to the rest of his staff and he's like, did any of you know that? And they're like, and he's like, Thank you. And then next thing you know is I get called up to his office. Here we go. And he's like, all right, I'm going to put you in charge of this. I want you to tell me when these things happen, and I want you to give me more examples and demonstrate to me exactly what you said. And I said, no problem at all. I said, I'll go get some right now. Now, he called me to do something specific. Now, if somebody else called me to do it, if it was my boss, I would have done it. But here's the regional vice president. My boss's expectation is if the regional boss's vice president tells you to do it, you need this. It supersedes everything, including his orders. It's like, you go and you do it now. And I did that and I, you know, presented it to him. And, and, and that, if you will, was a higher calling than even my boss. 
And this is where we have to, to, to get this idea. You know, we, we, we would do that greatly for somebody to either like, you know, further our career or to get in somebody's good graces or something of that nature. But that, again, this is not what we're doing because again, we're not trying to get in God's good graces. Uh, we're in him by his grace. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I mean, really, we've, we had sin. That was it. And now it's forgiven. Praise God. But what we find is we find that he, God, is telling us, I'm calling you to do something that you need to make as a priority in your life. That it's up there at the top, not at the bottom. So this calling that we see is something that is that he says here is high, and that is, again, the walk, the pressing towards the mark, that prize, including those things that we see in verse 13, which is how we go about, you know, getting to this uh, attaining part, which is, again, forgetting the things behind, the sin that we've been forgiven, the sin that we once did, which we should do no more, and pressing towards that mark, doing those things moving forward that God asks us to do, that's what his expectation is. Now keep that in mind when we start thinking about that idea and concept of perfectness. Take a look over there in chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything... Uh, uh, be, <coughs> excuse me. And if anything he be otherwise minded, God shall reveal this even unto you. Now this is interesting. Now some people will take that and they'll go, wait, hold on a second. Because they don't understand God's definition of what perfect is. You realize as he's talking about this, and to just kind of give you some example of what he's referencing here, he's talking about some things of maturity as well. Now, look, you know, if I was to ask anybody in here that was perfect to raise their hand, not one of us would raise our hand knowing that we would probably be struck dead by God, or at least that's what we think. But you understand that God looks at us a very different way than we look at ourselves. And really, honestly, if we have the mind of Christ, we need to look at it the way that God looks at things. That's part of the world uh, world's mentality how we view things, which is why Romans 12 exists. Not conformed to this world. Specifically, their thinking processes, their actions, their deeds, their words. So we have to change. So here we are looking at this and we're going through this change process. And he's talking about it. You know, hey, if you're one of these people that are perfect. Now, some people will say, well, praise God, that's not me. I guess I'm getting, you know, whew. I'm out of this. I don't have to be a mature Christian. I don't have to do any of the... No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You realize that when God sees you, he does not see your sin. He sees the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He sees you in the Lamb's book of life. He sees you forgiven. Praise God for that. Now, there's perfectness. So if we've trusted Christ, there's perfection that's already there. Now, that's all the work of Christ. That's all the work of Christ. Now, here in this life, we're still doing some things. We're still struggling. We're still going through these things. But here's where he's wanting us to get this mindset and start thinking. He says, look, you know, if you're a saved, born-again child of God, and you've got two seconds of growth in your life, you need to keep this in mind. You need to have this mindset. 
And again, this mindset is the same mindset that we've been talking about throughout this whole book that we reference back over there uh, in chapter 2, in, in verses 7 and 8. This is, this is this mindset that we have to start thinking about. Now, I want us to start, look at some things about perfect really quick. Go over to uh, James chapter um, 3. <clears throat> James chapter 3. I always like to start off when anybody starts talking about perfect and what perfect is, uh, I like to say, well, do you think you can be perfect? And everybody's going to say, no, absolutely not. And then I say, but God tells you to be. So are you going to disobey God? Now, again, you know, it's kind of, that's that's a bit brutal, but you take a look at verse 2 of James chapter 3. For in many things we offend all, and everybody said, amen. <laughs> Sometimes you get out of bed is just offensive to somebody. <laughs> the fact that you came to work is offensive to somebody. The fact that you showed up is offensive to somebody. The fact that you had independent thought is offensive to somebody. The fact that you made a comment on Facebook is offensive to somebody. Whatever it may be. For in many things we offend all. And we can, we, we will readily agree. Do we always do the right thing 100% of the time? Oh, good night. No, absolutely not. But take a look at this. <clears throat> He says, if any man offended not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So here's where God says, okay, look, you got a problem with sin in your life? You got some sort of sin you can't get victory over? Let's start focusing on what you say. Because what you say is indicative of what is in your heart. God makes that very clear, does he not? He says, whatever is in your heart comes out your mouth. Now, let's understand this. We we know that we have uh, 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 at least two mouths, two eyes, or I should say four eyes. Now, I'm not talking about glasses. <laughs> uh, we have another set of ears, and those are our, our inside of us, our soul, right? talks about our heart hearing, our heart thinking, what the heart sees, what the heart says. So now we're talking about thoughts as well. So when God's talking about this here, and he is talking about things of the heart, let's ask this question. Is the reason we keep struggling with something because we keep telling ourselves the wrong thoughts? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. So what do we have to do? We have to learn how to control it. We have to, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, bringing every thought into captivity. The obedience of, of Christ. I mean, this is what we have to do. And he says, look, if you can just get a hold of what you say in your heart, in your head, and what comes out of your mouth, you can control the rest of those urges. Now that, for for us, we look at that and go, well, you're oversimplifying it. I'm not. God is. (laughs) God's simplifying it. Because again, it becomes the heart issue that we're dealing with here. So, (coughs) 
So again, and he expounds throughout this chapter, and we're not going to go through a study in James right now, but he expounds through this chapter, and he makes it very clear that that's one of the main issues. Go over to another uh, place. Go over to Colossians. Colossians. uh, We actually, if you haven't gotten all the way too far from James, turn to James chapter 1. There was another verse I wanted to read. Sorry. Then I'll have you go to Colossians. And we'll pick up two verses in Colossians. But in James chapter 1, in James chapter 1 this time, um, and again, just to get a a general context of what's going on here, James chapter 1 verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So obviously we know who he's writing this to. He's writing this to Jewish believers. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And then we all say, yeah, he's talking to Jews, not us. <laughs> In verse 3, he says, knowing this, uh, that the trying of your, patient, of your faith worketh patience. We don't really don't like those two verses. And we kind of make us uncomfortable. But verse 4 should even make us more uncomfortable. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit likes to make us uncomfortable because it's called conviction. If you're uncomfortable, then there's something that has to be dealt with. But in verse 4, it says, But let patience have her perfect work. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that he put the, the, the female gender on patience, just like he did with wisdom. But, and, and I'm not going to go into the reason why at this point, because then we'd be here like till Sunday. But, but he says, But let patience have her perfect work. You want to know how to get perfect with these things? You need to let God deal with you. He puts that patience there for a reason. For you to use, just like with wisdom. And it says it's a perfect work. You want to know why a lot of people have issues is because they don't they don't let God try their faith to bring more patience in be and then there isn't the perfect work and they're not mature Christians that's generally what happens now let's go over to the book of Colossians and, and I'm showing you all this to, to get this point across because here he is Paul saying hey as many as be perfect and we can include ourselves in that we don't want to just say, hey, well, like I guess that, that version doesn't apply to me because I'm never going to be perfect. That's a lie that we tell ourselves. It's a lie that we tell ourselves. In Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 14, look at what he says here. <clears throat> Let's just go back just a little bit because, again, it's always good to, to, to read these things as he goes through this. Uh, you know, he starts talking about in verse 2, setting affections on things above, not on things of the earth. So we know that he's talking about some spiritual things. Talks about in verse 5 about mortifying members, meaning that you have to consider yourself dead to sin. You go through here and he says, put off all these things in verse 8. And he goes through all of the things that were put off. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Those are all kind of word-related things. Hmm. Verse 4, he says, lie not one to another. Okay, again, we've got some more things. And he says, you need to put off the old man with his deeds. That's that forgetting the things that are behind. You put off sin 
you put on Christ to move forward. Go into verse 10, and he says, and I've put on the new man. There we go. Exactly. Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Again, I love that word renewed. Why? Because renewed means it's a continual process. It's continual process. It's getting renewed every single time. Something new, something new, something new, something new, something new, something new. Your day-to-day life, something new, something new, something new, something new. And we go through all of this in verse 12. He says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. Man, it sounds a lot of what we were just reading over there in uh, Ephesians and also what we see in Philippians. It says in verse 13, there it is again, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's a completely different attitude. It's a completely different attitude. But here's verse 14. And I like this because guess what? It starts mentioning one of my favorite words in scripture, charity. And it says, above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Charity is what makes it stick together. Without charity, unity and peace is not existent. It doesn't hold. It's, it, it's, it's a sandcastle. It gets pushed over easily and destroyed. And you go over there and you start reading in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about what God defines as charity and how he calls it, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, something. And you go over there to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where he starts talking about that. <clears throat> Oops, 1 Corinthians, one second. <clears throat> And, and he ends chapter 12 saying he's going to show a more excellent way, and the more excellent way he goes right into is being charitable. Again, charitable isn't giving to, you know, Salvation Army or the, you know, the little red buckets at Christmas time. It's not what we're talking about. Charity is something totally different. Charity is an attitude of the heart that, that again, moves you and motivates you according to the Holy Spirit to prefer other people over yourself with absolutely no regard to what happens to you. Now that is an uncomfortable thing. But here he says, he says the greatest in verse 13 of of, of faith, hope, and charity, he says the greatest is charity. Greater than faith. Why? Because faith without charity is nothing. And, and, And without charity, our hope, we have no hope. So as we go through this, we begin to see this is the mindset that God wants, and this is the mindset that God is asking us to do. Let's go over to another couple of passages. Let's go over to the book of Matthew. Let's go over to Matthew and um, take a look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, very last verse. I know you're probably looking at it already and you're already read it in your head and you're like, (laughs) be therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect. And he's just asked you to do that. And somebody's going to say, well, that's, that's kingdom, 
kingdom of heaven stuff. Well, okay, yeah, I get it. It is. Yes, it is. But you know what? There's a pl- there's application to us. So, well, how do we know that? Because we find it in other areas, like we saw over in the book of James, and just like we saw over there in in uh, Colossians. Go over to chapter 19 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Take a look at verse 21. Matthew 19, 21. What does he say here? And Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell uh, that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Now, interesting thing is, you know, sometimes people just stop right there. But chapter Matthew chapter 19, verse 21 doesn't stop there. You know where that perfectness starts? It starts with a different heart, and specifically a heart to follow Christ. Because look at what it says, and come and follow me. You know, there he is. He's saying, come and follow me. Jesus Christ is saying, hey, you know what? The, the worldly stuff, the stuff that, that, that you're so occupied with, how about you get rid of that and you focus on things that are spiritual? And that's one of the biggest issues that we have, is we become occupied with physical stuff. Now, again, I'm not necessarily talking about physical possessions, and those can be put in there. But look, you know, people people do it all the time. I see people uh, make idols out of their kids, make idols out of their career, make idols out of their spouses, make idols out of their friends, make idols out of uh, out of you know human relationships. That ought not be so. If we are if we are purposing in our heart to follow Christ, then those relationships will align. If the other people are following Christ, that becomes the key important part of this. Let's go over to Second Corinthians. Second <clears throat> Corinthians, and then we're going to actually go back and pick up another verse that I left off in Colossians, but in Second Corinthians, and take a look at chapter 13. Second <clears throat> Corinthians chapter 13. <clears throat> And in case somebody gets, you know, a little argumentative and starts talking, well, you know, those are things that are back over there and, you know, it's, it doesn't quite fit what uh, Paul was talking about. Eh, let's just throw that stuff out because that's just, yeah, we need to. But verse 11, it says it right here, finally, brethren, farewell. <laughs> what does he say? Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. He says, be perfect. He tells the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, <laughs> be perfect. And if we know anything about the Corinthian church, we know they had some issues. <laughs> they, they, they've often been called the church of America um, frequently. Uh, but I, I dare say, I think we've gone a little bit further than they did. Um, <clears throat> I think we're, we're really in a, in a bad way. Saw something, you know, somebody sent me the other day and it was Paul and it was, he was writing, he, it said, if Paul was alive today and he says, greetings to, you know, uh, uh apostle of Jesus, Paul, apostle of Jesus Christ, greetings and, uh, uh my beloved brethren, uh, you know, at the, at the churches in, uh, in the United States. And it starts off with, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> it's just like, 
Yeah, yeah, that's about right. That's about right. But uh, let's go over to Colossians chapter 1 and <coughs> pick up that other verse that I missed. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> and, and here's an interesting thing that we see here. Uh, this is why teaching becomes important. This is why the gospel becomes important. Uh, because it has, a, you know, if you will, that dual edge that we see here. Uh, and uh, he says in verse uh, 27 of Colossians chapter 1, uh, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory, uh, of the glory of the, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. This is, this is what, if you will, uh, pastoring is about. This is what preaching and teaching is about. Every desire that every pastor should have, and every Sunday school teacher, and junior church teacher, and assistant pastor, and youth pastor, or whoever it is, should have that desire. Every Christian should. They want everyone else to be perfect. How can I labor to help that? How can I help you be perfect? Well, that means that I gotta watch what I say. <laughs> You're like, wow, it's a little convicting. It is. But this is, this is, this is the walk. This is the high calling that we're supposed to have. This is that mindset that we're supposed to have. What we're supposed to do. This is what God is wanting us to do. This is the expectation. And, and even to get to this point of where we're perfect, we have to have that mind of Christ. We have to start there. Lowliness of mind, uh, humble, uh, obedient, servant. That's the mindset. We can't get past anything further if that mind is not in us about what we are doing and why we're doing it. And again, it lines up to with what we saw in verse 13 and verse 14 about forgetting and pressing forward, leaving things behind and pressing forward, leaving things behind and pressing forward. You know, even the world has that mentality. Even the world has that mentality. I remember when I was... <clears throat> I was uh, learning some some psychology things and and I learned some of the some of the world psychology stuff and and, and it's just it's scary <clears throat> but I remember sitting there in one of them and 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 there's this guy up there and he's he's talking in this voice like this and he says I want you to imagine something that has happened to you that you think about now and ask yourself is it going to matter in 5 years You've heard that, right? I'm sitting there thinking, this class doesn't matter right now. <laughs> In five years, it's not going to matter. <laughs> but hey, I guess it did because I brought it up. But <clears throat> but I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, man. And, and you know, that that, that kind of has to be the mindset. If we're still focusing on stuff from five years ago, are we really moving forward in our Christian walk? Eh, not really. It's, there's something holding us back. There's something that's holding us back. 
And this is this, this is, if you will, some of the start of, if you will, Christian counseling. How, how do we begin to think about these things? How do we begin to to have that mindset? And, and and you know what the mind of Christ does? The mind of Christ recognizes what we're supposed to do. That it's a calling. The mind of Christ recognizes that it's a high calling. The mind of Christ recognizes that we need to press forward to do God's will, not our own. The mind of Christ also goes through this process of trusting God to handle the situation. Sin being forgiven, everything that we, we've dealt with, all of those things, God handles. And it becomes a great deal of trust placed on our Lord and Savior. But here, if you go back over there to, to Philippians chapter 3, and let's kind of finish up this verse here in verse 15, where he says, And if anything, if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal it unto you. Now here's an interesting thing. You know, God is, is, uh, is great at revealing sin in our lives. He sees it. We don't. Let's face it, we're blind as bats sometimes. Uh, you know, <clears throat> we're either, as, you know, the Psalms talk about, we're either a horse that runs ahead of him or we're the mule he's got to drag behind. Um, one way, shape, or form, we, we, we get some various different mindsets about how we think on things. But, but, but the end result is, is, you know, if you've got a mindset that is not congruent with God, if it is not in parallel, if it is not in line with what scripture says, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to point that out. Well, how do we know that? You go over to Acts chapter 9, and what did he say to Paul? Why are you kicking against the pricks? Well, what was he talking about? He was talking about the conviction of the Holy Spirit, telling what he was doing was wrong, killing people, locking them up, throwing them in prison. Go over to the book of Psalms, just to show you this real quick. Psalms, uh, we've got it... Uh, Got a little time. I want to show you this. Psalm chapter 32. I want to, I want you to show, uh, to see this. You know, <clears throat> praying the prayer of search me and try me, O Lord, is, is a terrifying prayer. Because if you pray it in earnest, God will show you. God will show you where you where the error is. And, and it's never in his word, by the way. So if you're thinking it's somewhere in the word or something in God's will that maybe God got it wrong, uh, I'll give you a kind of a head start. It, 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 it's you. <laughs> it's me. We're, we're the issue. Take a look at this in Psalm chapter 32. Uh, take a look at verse 3. Um, here he is talking about forgiveness. Here he's talking about sin being covered. Uh, and uh, we see what's happening here in verse 3. He says, when I kept silence, my bones wax old through my roaring all the day long. And here he is, he's talking about sin, and he's talking about be, it being hidden. He's talking about not confessing it. He's talking about, guess what? It's the equivalent of having your your bones on fire. Now, look, before service, we were talking about some different issues with pain and things like that. And I've had some situations before. I've had what they've described as one of the top pains that you can ever have in your entire life. They talk about uh, childbirth and they talk about uh, kidney stones and they talk about gout pain. And, and I will tell you, 
when it feels like your foot is hooked up to 240 volts that somebody stuck an ice pick in it that was on fire and then at the same time decided to have a little bit of fun and dunked it in acid. Yeah, you've kind of got a description of what gout feels like. That's how bad it hurt. And it just, it was, it was just intense pain. And you just think about that and you go, well, again, you know what? We have to realize that when we try to hide things from God, when we try to hide sin, it will come out in a physical way. It will manifest and it will make us physically sick. It will make us physically sick. This is what's happening here. He's talking about it. And you know why this is? Because God is saying, hey, if you're otherwise minded. Now, I'll tell you this. You need to be thankful for that. Why? Because that's God caring for you and he's trying to show you something. Don't get bitter and mad at God about it. Be thankful. Praise him that he showed it to you. Could you imagine if he didn't? Turn turn over to this chapter 38. Uh, Psalm chapter 38. <clears throat> Take a look at verse 4. <clears throat> Here he is and he's talking again about some sin. And in verse 1, uh, to start, it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure, for thy arrow stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. What is he talking about? Conviction. Now, there's some physical things that are going on here as well, but he's talking about conviction. He's talking about some serious conviction. He says, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head, and as a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. What is that? He's talking about conviction here. He's talking about what the Lord does, what the Lord shows. Go over to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. I, 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 you know, you go to the first part of Acts, and, and obviously you see Stephen over there where the, the Pharisees were pricked at the heart at Stephen's message, and then they stoned him. <laughs> They, they they didn't respond the right way to the conviction, but the, uh, the the great thing is is God shows in Acts chapter two and in verse um the, verse thirty seven how some in, responded to Peter's message. Acts chapter two here it is at Pentecost and in verse thirty seven it says now when they heard this they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter and to the rest of the disciples men and brethren what shall we do. They wanted to change. They wanted to change. And what does he tell them? Repent. Now, this is an amazing thing that we begin to think about here. He's talking about them having to make some changes in their life. Having to make some very distinct, uh, uh, um, uh, if you will, putting offs and putting ons. And, and they did that. And it says in verse 41, there was 3,000 souls right there that day. Man, talk about a great service. But I'll tell you this, people are going to respond different ways. These individuals, when they were pricked in their heart by the Holy Spirit, they responded the right way. They responded like the Philippian jailer. Now, remember, that's who is in this church that he's talking to. And what did the Philippian jailer do? The Philippian jailer came forth 
after he was going to kill himself and saw that they were all fine, he came and what did he do? He said to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul immediately took that opportunity and said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now, interestingly enough, some people say, well, maybe he was talking about salvation being saved from the punishment of whatever the, the, you know, the Roman governance or the local magistrates were going to do or something at that point in time. He just saw the power of God. I think when he was talking about saved, I think he really, truly, especially if they were singing hymns all night long and praying, uh, he's having to listen to all that. <laughs> So I, I think there was some influence there. I don't think he was just worried about his flesh. Because he immediately responded. It wasn't, there, wasn't no back, there wasn't a back and forth like, a, like a Nicodemus in Christ, where Nicodemus was, was a little obtuse in that. But there was a true response. So what we find here is, is God saying, look, if you've got a problem with your mindset, that doesn't line up with this, that doesn't line up with, a, with, with Christ, God's going to show it to you. Now, here's the important thing. You've got to be able to listen and look for it. Because if you don't, and you're not paying attention, you're asleep at the wheel, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week uh, into verse 16, where he's talking about... Uh, um, uh, to just to read this, um, to, to kind of whet the appetite. It says, nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. And then he says, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. And we're going to talk about following men and what that looks like. And he did say, yeah, follow, follow him. But he makes it very clear that it has to be following Christ. This is the mindset. He said the rule in the very, in, in that uh, verse just above it. That rule is the mind of Christ. If that is our principle and our standard, then we're following Jesus Christ in doing what we need to do. And we'll explain more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you again for this time. Thank you again for what uh, you're teaching us through your word. I pray, Lord, that we would take these things and we would realize them and understand them and we would apply them to our life on a day-to-day basis. Thank you again for those that are here. I pray you take us home safely tonight. And uh, again, Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us. And this I ask and pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.